0: To the website and you can hear it on there the audio part or you can go to Facebook and scroll down to last Sunday's service and you can um, you can watch it there as we've seen over the the past few weeks in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 13 the apostle Paul introduces the subject of spiritual warfare and that's what we're continuing to talk about today is spiritual warfare in these verses he tells us that is as, as saints of God we are engaged in a spiritual battle against a powerful, relentless enemy. And that enemy is described in verse 11 as the devil. And Paul makes it clear that the devil doesn't fight fairly. That he fights by using his wiles or schemes, depending on the translation you read. And that refers to deception. It refers, refers to tricks or methods that he uses to undermine our faith. And I have seen more and more in recent days of ways that, that he just really tries to trick us and to, to play his schemes out in our lives, um, to discourage us and, and do whatever he can do to get us to, to just quit. God's command to us, in spite of those schemes or wiles or tricks, is to stand against these attacks of the enemy. And as we said before, the word stand as it's used here, is from a military point of view. And it refers to to holding a critical position during a time of an enemy attack. It's not so much the the image of someone that's on the offensive, but instead it's the picture of a, a soldier on the defense refusing to give back that which has already been won. God has given us some very precious possessions, and they are worth protecting. He's given us truth. He's given us his word. He's given us his grace, he's given us his salvation, his blessing, and so many other things, and be assured that the devil wants all of it, and he will stop at nothing to take it. And that means that if we are to keep what we have received from the Lord, and if we are going to to hold on to the ground that has already been won, then we must stand. As Christians today, we need to make a stand. I'm not talking about being a jerk about stuff, but I'm saying take a stand on what the Word of God says, not on personal opinions or political stuff or any of that, but stand on what the Word of God says. And we cannot do it on our own. Instead, as Paul writes here in Ephesians, we must put on the whole armor of God. And again, this is not a physical armor. Instead, these are things that we as Christians have been given by God to place in our lives in order to stand against a very powerful enemy who hates God, and because we're followers of him, he hates us as well. It might be easier if it was an actual armor, where you could see it laying there and you could put it on and put on the helmet and pick up a sword and put on all the stuff, but it's not that way. These are spiritual things because we are fighting a spiritual battle. And this full armor of God is complete when we wear it all, it is complete. It is what we need to fight the spiritual battle that we're in. And if we wear it, here's the thing, if we wear it, we will be victorious. Over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at in detail the belt of truth that the, the, went around us, the, the breastplate of righteousness. The belt of truth re- re- refers to a, a life of total commitment to the Lord, one that's lived out in obedience to the Word of God. It speaks of knowing what truth is and then living out that truth in our lives every day. Not just knowing it, but living it. It's important for us to realize that the truth that Paul writes about is the truth of God's Word. It's not my private interpretation or anybody else's private interpretation of truth. But I will tell you this, without truth, we will be easily deceived. And without truth we will find that many of the other pieces of the spiritual armor just don't work. If we are standing on something that's not true, we won't stand. And if we stand on something other than the Word of God, we won't stand. To us as Christians, the next thing we talked about was the breastplate of righteousness, and that represents a, a holy life, something that protects us from the attacks of the devil. Against our, It protects us. our thoughts, it protects our feelings that could cause us to fall into sin. A holy or righteous life means a life that is, li- again, kind of going back to this belt of truth, it's a life that is lived according to the teachings of the Word of God. And we can be sure that a life that is lived according to the Word of God is a very powerful defense against the attacks of the enemy. Righteousness and sin cannot coexist. We cannot be dedicated to both at the same time. It's black and white, there is no gray. It's hot or cold, there is no lukewarm. Righteousness and sin cannot coexist. When we are not living a life according to the word of God, and we allow unrepented sin to stay in our lives, it creates flaws in that breastplate. Remember that breastplate of righteousness. Flaws that give Satan an end from which he can attack, exploit us, and often destroy us. But true righteousness, not self-righteousness, but true righteousness can only come from God. And in the same way that a soldier's breastplate protects his heart and his gut, the breastplate of righteousness will protect our mind and our emotions from the devil's attacks. With that, I want to go to Ephesians 6.15. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I want to read another translation as well.
1: I want to read NIV and King James.
0: And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Today, I want to look a little bit more closely at what Paul meant when he said that we are to stand with our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Many of us probably take shoes for granted, but honestly, they're a very important important part of our apparel. We often have different shoes for different kinds of activities. In fact, what I plan to do on any given day will often determine what type of shoes I put on. I'm kind of a simple guy, so in spite of that, I still have dress shoes, I have casual shoes, I have work boots, and I have shoes that are actually sandals that I wear when we walk Dudley and Daisy. So I have a few pair of shoes. I know there are probably others here today, maybe even some in my own household who have more shoes than I have, (laughs) not mentioning names, and that's okay. While I don't often think about my shoes, I will tell you that I am grateful for them. They protect protect my feet from the dangers of walking around barefooted. They keep my feet warm. They keep them dry and safe. So shoes serve a purpose and have become an important part of my wardrobe and probably yours as well. Think about how important shoes are to certain professions. Construction workers would be crazy to go out to their job without steel-toed boots what about a baseball player imagine a baseball player a football player walking on the field without cleats instead of wearing a pair of flip-flops when jeffrey was in high school he played baseball basketball and soccer and he had to have different shoes for each one because they all served a different purpose i was really glad when he went to college and only played baseball because we only had to buy one pair of shoes but most sport Almost every sport has its own shoes specific to that sport, specifically designed for a particular use because athletes understand, understand just how important the right shoes are for what they're doing. As important as shoes are to us, to workers, to athletes, they're even more important to a soldier. In fact, a soldier's life can depend on their shoes. Soldiers are often required to march long distances to fight in all types of environments. They walk through jungles, walk over rocks, cross stream beds filled with sharp, jagged rocks. They slog through snow or cross a burning desert. And shoes are important in all of those situations. If a soldier's feet becomes swollen, cut, blistered, I can assure you that soldier's going to be very hindered or disabled at time of battle. A a soldier whose feet are, are injured might not be able to stand their ground and fight, much less be able to move forward or to march forward. If a soldier cannot stand, and we're headed somewhere, so stay with me. If a soldier cannot stand, they might not be able to properly handle all of the other weapons that they have. And they certainly cannot advance on the enemy. So we see that sore feet could undermine a soldier's ability to stand firm. So soldiers' feet are important in battle. In World War II, the Japanese, and then in the Vietnam War, the North Vietnamese recognized this, and they used a weapon called a punji stick to take out their enemies. This is a picture of an actual punji stick. A punji stick was a trap that was made with sharpened bamboo sticks or stakes. They were often smeared with urine, feces, or other substances that would cause an infection in the victim. And the way it worked, the enemy would dig a hole, as you see here, They would put these sharpened sticks in the bottom, facing upward, and then cover the hole with a thin frame of sticks that was covered with leaves, and then the victim would actually step on this cover, fall through onto the sharpened stakes below, and it would go through their shoe and up into their foot, and because of what they had put on the stakes, an injury like this would require immediate medical attention or death could occur from terrible infections. One thing for sure, an injury like this would take a soldier completely out of the fight. So what was the solution? In 1966, a special jungle boot version of the standard issue combat boot was developed, and it had a steel plate on the bottom of the shoe, or the boot. That steel plate protected the enemy's feet, from the, or the soldier's feet, from the enemy's attack. Because if you fell down on those sharpened stakes, you had a steel plate that would stop it from going up through your boot and up through your foot. So once again, we can see how important footwear is to a soldier. Back to our writing from here in Paul. The Roman soldier that Paul is talking about here, to illustrate the portion of the armor of God, didn't wear combat boots, didn't wear jungle boots, Instead, they wore a leather sandal-type boot that protected their feet and ankles. In the same way that the jungle boot of the 60s protected the American soldiers' feet, these sandal-type boots that you see here, called caliga for one, or caligae for a pair, allowed soldiers to stand against the enemy. And it did this without having them to worry or causing them to worry about what they might step on that would cause them to fall or unable to stay in the fight. And these sandal boots usually had some type of a, a hobnailed sole, which means they had little bits of metal or nails driven into the soles. These hobnailed soles gave the Romans soldiers great traction as they climbed hills and fought on uneven terrain, which gave them very good stability as they fought the enemy. So while at first we might say, what's the big deal? It's a shoe. It's a boot. We can start to see that this piece of armor, a shoe, was essential to a Roman soldier's preparation for battle. And I believe that's why Paul brought this in to make a specific statement about it. If we are going to stand as Christians engaged in a spiritual battle, engaged in spiritual warfare, if we are going to stand against the wiles of the devil, his schemes, his tricks, We must have on the proper spiritual footwear with which to stand. We can have on the belt of truth. We can have on the breastplate of righteousness. But if we neglect to have our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, we are destined to stumble and fall. And you cannot fight a battle if you're laying on your back. It doesn't work. The word that Paul used here that is translated, Preparation in the King James and readiness in the NIV is a call for Christians engaged in the battle for our lives to be prepared, to be ready for whatever we might face at any time. A good pair of boots allows a soldier to be ready to march, to stand, to climb, to fight, or whatever else they might feel called on to do. And that same readiness should mark the people of God. So to what does this kind of readiness refer? There are, are different thoughts on what Paul was referring to here in reference to preparation and footwear. And since most of these views have a certain amount of validity, we're not going to argue over who has the best view or, or that only one view matters. Instead, I want to talk about a different, couple of different things. Some Bible commentator, commentators feel that the preparation to which Paul refers is the readiness to proclaim the gospel to the world the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And they reason that, that Paul is referring back to Isaiah 52, 7, which refers to the feet of someone who is preaching the good news of peace. And it is possible that that is one reference. In that interpretation, it would mean that we as children of God must always be ready to share the gospel with the lost world. We are to be ready to share and able to go where God calls us, speak to who he places in our lives, sharing the gospel with those who are unsaved and telling them about Jesus. And absolutely, that is something that everyone should have in their life, the ability to be ready to go and share the gospel. All of those things are true, and as believers, we are to be actively engaged in the work of evangelism or sharing the gospel. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. When God saved us, he commanded us to tell others what he has done for us and what he can do for them. Look what Jesus said in Mark 16, 15. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. He has given us his spirit, and the Holy Spirit has equipped us for the work of evangelism. I don't mean setting up a tent and and having people come in from outside and sitting on wooden benches. I'm not talking about that kind of evangelism. I'm talking about one-on-one evangelism discipleship type of evangelism to where we share the gospel with the people we come in contact with each and every day. It might be by word, it might be by deed, it might be by both, but we are called to be evangelists. Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1 8 that when they received the Holy Spirit, they would receive power. That was one thing, but he also said that they would become witnesses of what had happened in their lives. We too, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive power and we are called and then we have that ability to go out and be witnesses to what God has done in our lives. The very heart of our duty to the lost is that we go and we tell and we share the gospel. In fact, that is the very heart of the Great Commission. Found in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 that says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Our first commandment when we are saved is to go and make disciples. We have to become a disciple first. That's very important. It's hard to make disciples if you haven't become a disciple. But we are called to go and make disciples. We are called to go and duplicate ourselves. We're we're going through a Bible study series called Discipleship, Be One and Make One. And I believe that's the calling that each of us have is to be a disciple and make a disciple. And what happens then, it grows exponentially. I get saved. I become a disciple. I make one. This person goes and they make a disciple. And first thing you know, it's gone from here to here. Look what happened in Jesus' day. Jesus had 12. He lost one, so he's down to 11. And they went from that day when he gave them the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19. And from that time, those 11 men have gone and shared the gospel and made disciples until today we have tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of disciples that have lived since that time. That's our calling. So it is possible that this is what Paul was referring to in Ephesians 6.15, because sharing the gospel with the lost absolutely does advance the kingdom of God, and it is certainly a valid part of our service to God. And while there is no question that every believer should be able to be prepared to share the gospel, I believe that the point of Paul's writing here was possibly more the idea, or at least additionally the idea, of standing firm and defending the faith against the attacks of the enemy. It could mean the other about always being prepared to share the gospel, but in addition to that, I believe it means this as well. So while Paul could be including evangelizing the lost or sharing the gospel in keeping in line with the other pieces of the armor that we've looked at so far, I believe that Paul was also talking or referring to defending the church, defending ourselves against the attacks of Satan. It says that Paul was saying, You need to stand firm against the enemy. And one way to be prepared, one way to make sure that you won't fall, is by putting on the boots of the gospel of peace. One way to make sure that you stand is by having the right footwear on. It seems that Paul used a a bit of deliberate irony here in that the gospel of peace enables us to defend ourselves successfully in a deadly spiritual war. And this is because the gospel of peace is our firm footing in a battle against Satan. If we can't stand, we will fall. And if we fall, we can't fight laying flat on our back. So when you're struggling through a time of difficulty, the the kind that happens to all of us from time to time, when things in life are not exactly going the, the way that you thought or hoped they would go, when Satan tries to attack you with deadly arrows of doubt and tells you something like, if God really loved you, he wouldn't have let this happen to you. When that happens, you dig your boots into the turf of God's word and you reply, Satan, no matter what you throw at me, the word of God tells me that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. We stand on the word of God. And then we straighten our armor, we straighten that belt out, we straighten that breastplate of righteousness, we firmly plant our feet, and we remember the words of Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39 that says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation would be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is if we stand... And we say that. We read that out loud if we have to. And then we say, I am a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loves me. And then you stand. When Satan tries to sneak up behind us and stab us in the back by saying, remember what you did that time? God hasn't forgotten about that. When he tries to do that, we put our face toward the battle. We plant our boots firmly. We dig in even more deeply and we reply, the Bible tells me if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then we stand. So those are a couple of different thoughts on what Paul was referring to in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 15. And I will tell you that both views are solid. But since Paul referenced standing back in verse 11, then he referenced standing in verse 13, and then we see the first word of Ephesians 6:14 is the word stand. And then everything that Paul listed after that were things that would give us the ability to do just that, stand. Since he did all of that, I have to believe that this particular passage, Paul is not talking as much about sharing the gospel, although we need to do that, as he is talking about fighting Satan and standing firm in our faith. We cannot stand firm in our faith if we don't know what our faith is. That's why we need to know what the Word of God says. That's why we need to study the Word of God. All of these things are so tied in to the Word of God because that is the foundation on which we stand. So what are we standing on? Paul wrote of having our feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And the logical question here would be, What is this gospel of peace that Paul wrote of? The word gospel simply means good news. I believe the gospel of peace refers to the good news in the truth that through our relationship with Jesus Christ, we are at peace with God. Remember, it wasn't always that way. Romans 5, 6 through 10, chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, tells us that before Jesus gave his life on the cross, we were powerless. And we were separated from God because of sin. In fact, verse 10 says, in our unsaved state, hold on to this, we were God's enemies. In unsaved, when we were unsaved, we were enemies of God. But it doesn't end there. Verse 11 goes on to say that when God saved us through Jesus Christ, we received reconciliation. And when that happened, He declared us to be at peace with him. Where we were once separated from God, where we were once considered enemies of God, now because of Jesus Christ, because of the blood of Jesus, now we are at peace with God. We are his children. That's why Paul wrote this in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, because of Jesus, we are at peace with God. Colossians 1:21 and 22 says this, Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Amen. Not through self-righteousness, through his righteousness. Mm. If we could grasp how powerful this is, what are we standing on? We are standing in the peace of God that is only possible through Jesus Christ. Looking through these scriptures, it makes even more sense to me that, that this gospel of peace that Paul is referring to in Ephesians 6.15 is the wonderful news that through Christ, we are at peace with God. We are no longer enemies. We are no longer separated. So putting all of that together, and stay with me here, it seems like Paul is saying that having our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace means that now, We stand in absolute confidence that God loves us. That regardless of what our past might have been, if we have repented, if we have asked him to forgive our sins, he has done just that and our sins are gone. It means that because of that, we are united with him, that he fights for us. And as a result, all is well with our souls and we are at peace with God. It is the absolute confidence that I am saved, that you are saved. And when we have that confidence and when we possess the peace of God in our hearts, then we are ready to stand against anything, any lie, any deception, any reminder of our past. Because of the gospel that tells us that Jesus died for our sins, and if we repent, if we ask for forgiveness, we are forgiven. With that confidence, we are able to stand against anything that the devil would try to attack us with. Because we're standing on the peace of God, the peace that only comes because of that relationship that we now have with him. Remember, Paul wrote about the lies, the deceitfulness, the wiles, or the schemes of the devil. And we know that one of the things that Satan tries to use against us is to try to convince us that we're not really saved. So having on this part of the armor helps us to stand and fight off that type of attack. Because we know without a doubt. That what Jesus did on the cross was enough to pay for my salvation, your salvation, and the salvation of anyone else who will ever live. So we stand on this truth and we tell the devil, not today devil, go away because the salvation I'm standing on is secure and there's nothing you can do about it. There's some examples of of something very similar to this through the Bible in different places. I want to look at a couple of those examples of the kind of peace that brings confidence. When we are standing on the peace that we only find in in the gospel of peace, it brings us confidence to stand against whatever would come against us. And there's some places like this in other parts of the Bible. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel, under the leadership of Gideon, they witnessed God reduced the size of this army that was once 32,000 men, God reduced it down to 300. And even though they they were facing an army several times their size, those 300 men placed their confidence in the Lord and followed him into battle. And because they did just that, they saw the Lord defeat this immense Midianite army without the use of a single weapon. They never drew a weapon. All those men did was they broke clay jars that allowed a lamp on the inside to shine. They blew a trumpet and shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And it was their faith in God's promise that gave them peace. And as a result, it gave them confidence to stand against an enemy that from a human standpoint was more powerful than they were. Without the peace they had, this was 32,000 men going into battle, and God whittled that number down to 300. The enemy didn't change. The size of the enemy did not change. And they went from 32,000 to 300 to face the exact same enemy. But because of the peace they had and that brought them confidence in their God, they were able to stand and they were able to fight, and they won the battle without a single weapon being drawn. Chronicles 2.20, the people of Judah were about to be invaded by the powerful armies of the Ammonites and the Moabites. They were afraid. But the Lord spoke to King Jehoshaphat and said, do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged because of what you see. The battle is not yours, but it's the Lord's. Verse 18 through 23 tells us what happens next. In spite of being outnumbered, the nation of Judah experienced this tremendous victory because they took God at his word, they found peace in the word, and were able to stand because of the confidence that they had in him. I wish somebody would get as excited as I am about this. <laughs> Woo! When we realize what we are standing on, that we are standing in the peace of the gospel, it gives us confidence to fight anything that would come against us because we know the victory is already won. All this is is just a battle. In the 18th chapter of John, we read that Peter drew his, his sword against the soldiers and religious leaders who came to arrest Jesus in the garden of gethsemane. Now I'll tell you Peter didn't do this because he was such a great warrior. He wasn't. He was a fisherman. Peter drew his sword. This is you can go back and read it. 18th chapter of John. He drew his sword because he had just seen this whole group of people fall to the ground. Nobody touched them. Look at this. These people who came for Jesus, they asked Jesus, are you the one we're looking for? And then when Jesus said, I am he, verse 5 says that all of these religious leaders, these soldiers and other officials, they drew back and fell to the ground just by the word of Jesus. And it seems at that very moment, this impetuous fisherman, When Peter saw that happen, his confidence in Jesus was strengthened. And all of a sudden, he felt like he was invincible and he was ready to take on a whole army. So he pulled out his little knife. And he tried to cut a guy's head off and instead he just cut his ear off. But in every one of these situations we just talked about, every one of them, Peace that comes from God brought confidence in God. And as a result of that confidence in God, it enabled them to stand firmly, not in their power, but in the confidence of the power of God. And we, as the redeemed of God, who stand in the Lord's power... And in full assurance of salvation, we know without a doubt we're saved. We do not have to feel, fear any enemy, even if that enemy is Satan himself. So when we're attacked, we stand. We stand on the firm, unchanging ground, on the promises of the gospel of grace. On the promises of the gospel of peace. That now, once we were enemies of God, once we were were separated from Him, that now we are reconciled to Him and we have the peace that only He can give. And we stand and we stand firm. And when we stand on that, we have confidence. We who were once on the outside are now sons and daughters of God. He is our Heavenly Father and we are His children. Everything we need to be strong in the Lord... And in the power of his might, everything is at our disposal. And because of that, our confidence in the day of battle, it doesn't rest on our power. It rests on the promises of God. Regardless what things might look ab- about, and when you look around... It doesn't change who God is. There are times I look around at circumstances and I don't understand what's going on. And if I allowed it to, I would get discouraged. But I will tell you today that my hope is not in people. My hope is certainly not in the things I see. All my hope is in Jesus. And if I lose sight of that, if I lose sight of where my peace is found, I promise you that I will not be able to stand. I'll get discouraged, and I'll take off all the other pieces of weapons, the armor of God, and I'll throw them on the ground and say, I give up quit. It's not worth it. You say you do that?
1: There's times when I sure feel like it.
0: But you know what I know that is? It's the devil. It's a trick of the devil. And when we realize how he works, it's then and only then that we know what he's doing and we know where that's coming from.
1: So when we're attacked, we stand.
0: the same gospel that changed us who were once enemies of God into children of God who he now protects. We who were once on the outside are now sons of God. He is our heavenly father. We are his children. Everything we need, I'm going to say it again, everything we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might is right here at our disposal. All the pieces of this armor of God are laying at our feet and it is up to us as to whether or not we pick them up and put them on every day or if we just leave a line there and walk away. Here's what God promised, promises to us as his children. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? If I am standing in the peace and the confidence of God, then what do I care what all happens around here? I know in whom I have believed, and I know that if God is for us, I can stand. And then as we saw earlier, verses 35 through 39 of that same chapter lets us know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. It lets us know that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Those promises, those truths, all of those things are the shoes that give us the ability to stand in that evil day, the truth that we are loved by the Lord gives us confidence to stand. The truth that we are saved by his grace gives us confidence to stand. The truth that we are his children gives us confidence to stand. The truth that we in his tender care and that he has promised to stand with us, to protect us, to keep us, to defend us, gives us confidence to stand. My confidence is not in me. I would have been done a long time ago. My confidence is in him. And when we stand in the peace that only God can give us, and we stand firmly on that peace, then we will have the confidence to stand and know that God will fight our battles. So the question we need to ask ourselves is this. Are we ready to stand? Do we have absolute confidence in our heart that God has saved us, that he has forgiven our sins and adopted us into his family? I will tell you, if we have this kind of confidence, confidence that comes as we stand in the readiness that comes from the good news of peace. A confidence that comes when we stand from the gospel of peace, as Paul wrote back in Ephesians 6. Then we can stand regardless of what the enemy might throw at us. But if we don't have that deep, settled confidence in our heart, we will be unstable in all of our battles. Unless we are grounded in absolute assurance of salvation the enemy will have very little trouble knocking us off our feet. We have to know that we are saved. So that when he comes along and tells us that we aren't, we know he's lying to us. If you are not absolutely sure that you are saved, don't leave this place today without knowing. Because when you know, as my dad used to say, when you know in your knower that you are saved... Then you have confidence and you will stand. But I will tell you, you can be sure today. You can have confidence that all is well. You can know Him and His power to help you stand. You can be stable. Strong and sure in your salvation. To have that stability again, you need to know for sure that you're saved. And when you are, the enemy's going to have a hard time with you. Because you'll be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, you will stand. The victory's already won. Jesus did that when he died and rose from the grave. Now, we have some battles that we will fight. But we do so in confidence of the outcome. Because the victory is already won. So let's put on the truth as a belt. Let's put on God's righteousness as a breastplate to protect our thoughts and our emotions. And let's make sure that we have on the right shoes for battle. the shoes of the gospel of peace, as Paul wrote about in Ephesians chapter 6. And when we do that, we will stand. I think people hear a sermon like, this and other ones in this spiritual warfare series. And I I, I know without a doubt there are people who go, well, I, I don't really want to play that. I, I I just I don't want to really get involved in that. We don't have a choice. We're in the battle. We can fight or we'll be defeated. Not participating is not an option. There are no conscientious objectors in spiritual warfare. There are no exemptions in spiritual warfare. We will fight or we will be defeated. It's time that we as a church, it's time we as individuals, armor up, fight the battles and when we can't fight and all we can do is stand we stand and as we'll see in some of these other parts of the armor of God it's important that we stand together we can't fight this battle on our own we need each other would you stand this morning As they sing this morning, lead us in some worship before we're dismissed. I'd like for everyone just to make their way forward and find a place to pray. If you feel led to pray with somebody, please do that. If you need prayer, we will pray for you. But as they sing, would you just come this morning? Hallelujah. Standing
1: on the promises of Christ, my King. Through eternal ages, let His praises I'm not